Hello and welcome to the Movie Podcast. My name is Anthony. Thank you all for listening in today. As always, I'm joined by my two co-hosts alongside me, Mr. Daniel. Hello there. And Mr. Shay. Hello, Radio Town. Oh my God, wow. your waveforms went like, woo! Is that too much? It was a little much. It was a little much. Are you telling me the audience will not like me screaming in their ears? Uh, I'll tell you, I don't like it. Oh, okay. Well, well I, to the audience. I definitely don't like it. Most people's speakers just blew out. They're like, "Oh God, yeah. I, I'm sending." Oh, there a, we go. Sending a bill to the movie podcast. <laughs> Care of I'll, one, two, three, Fake Street. <laughs> How are you don't guys give doing my today, away, man? <laughs> How are you guys doing today? Good, uh, good man. We're good. We are in the middle of a very busy week of movies and reviews and events, so it's uh, tired, but it's the best kind of tired. Yes, very tiring week this week. We have a lot of content coming for for our um, fans, and I would say stay tuned for the following week, cause, uh, or for the coming week, because we're going to have reviews for pretty much everything, and we'll talk about that uh, during the announcements. What about you, Shay? How are you feeling this week? Yeah, you know, also tired. Um, we had a lot of things to do. We're currently at two festivals, which uh, Daniel will kind of get us into as well. And it's just been crazy. A lot of films, so many movies that I haven't gotten a chance yet to watch all the ones that I need to watch. So I'm going to dedicate some time today or tomorrow to do that as well. Perfect, perfect, perfect. As always, you can catch a new episode of the movie podcast every Monday and watch out throughout the week. For review episodes on the latest movies and series. Make sure to follow us at The Movie Podcast on Instagram and Twitter and Letterboxd. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. As always, you can join us on our Discord. We're always having fun conversations on Discord. And you can check out our show notes for all those links and more. I'm going to kick it to Daniel for announcements. Hello, yes. So, some announcements this week. As we were alluding to earlier in the episode, we are at the Tribeca Film Festival right now and at E3 uh, virtually for both those fest- both those events. But uh, it's really cool to see all the Tribeca films coming out and then all the news coming out of E3. So, stay tuned this week on the Movie Podcast feed. We're going to have a lot of new review episodes and wrap-up episodes happening. Uh, so, if this episode is a little bit shorter, you'll know why a little bit later because we're going to have a special guest. But um, if you're looking for something to listen to right now we do have a bunch of reviews on the movie podcast feed most notably i'd say a quiet place part two didn't think it was going to happen but here we are we watched the quiet place part two we went to a drive-in theater to watch it because that's the only way we could watch it in ontario right now so if you want to know about a quiet place part two if you are planning on seeing it you can too in a drive-in, if you live in Ontario. Uh, but we also have a review out for Loki, The Conjuring, Spiral, Friends Reunion, Cruella, Riders of Justice, Army of the Dead, so much more. So make sure you look at the movie podcast feed for all of those reviews. This week, um, in addition to all of our Tribeca Film Festival and E3 coverage, we will have our review out on Wednesday for The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Sorry, on Tuesday we'll have that review. And then Luca... Uh, the Pixar film, which is coming out on Friday, we'll have a review up for that on Wednesday. Um, so stay tuned for all that. And then this week, we have special guest Tony Bancroft on the show. He is a Disney animation veteran. He's the co-director of the animated Mulan, creator, creator <laughs> of uh, Pumbaa and Kronk. Uh, so we have a great conversation lined up with him for later on in the show. So stay tuned for that. 
Thank you, Daniel, for that. Are you guys welcome? Thank you. Are you guys ready to get into the news? Always. Let's do it. Always. Let's do it. That seemed off. I liked it. Yeah, that was yeah, okay. off because you know you know what it was. I think it was because Anthony introduced it. Yeah, he's like, "Are you guys ready to get into uh, to, to to do the thing that we like to do?" Uh huh. Uh-huh. We didn't do it, uh-huh. uh, but it's okay. You know, the show goes on. The show goes on. The show, the show goes, goes on. on. Uh, it's always different. You know, we're always changing. Let's get into our first news story. Riz Ahmed is fed up with the lack of Muslim representation in Hollywood, and this is coming from Chris Murphy of Vanity Fair. Riz Ahmed is speaking out about Muslim representation in the film industry. The Sound of Metal star who made history as the first Muslim actor to be nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars took to social media on Thursday to lament both the lack of representation and the negative representation of Muslim characters in Hollywood. He highlighted how his career is the exception, not the rule. If I am the exception to the rule, what must the rule be about people like me? Ahmed asked. I am here to briefly tell you the expectations don't change the rules. Expectations, if anything, highlight the rule and, in some ways, allows us to be complacent about leaving that rule in place. Ahmed also emphasized the importance of creating meaningful change in the industry where most portrayals of Muslims are either non-existent or entrenched in those stereotypical two toxic dimensional portrayals. He likened this period of misrepresentation of Muslim people in Hollywood to that of the ministrously referring to it as a structural problem. In the hopes of shifting the representation of Muslims on screen, Ahmed also joined forces with Pillars Fund, the Chicago-based advocacy group, and the Ford Foundation to create the Pillars Artist Fellowship, which will award 25000 to Muslim storytellers. The adversary group for the fellowship includes Ahmed and other Ahmed and other Muslim actors like Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali, Hassan Minhaj, Rami Youssef, and We Are Lady Parts creator Nida Menzur. So this was a, a really huge news story that broke last week, and I know Shay was very very passionate about. Um, talking about it, so I'm going to throw it off to Shane and how he felt about Riz's um, comments. Yeah, um, you know, he- hearing this kind of come out, it was it was very touching. It was very surreal because, um, you know, with with the way the world has been changing lately, with the with the I, with the representation that's been occurring, um, this is one of those things that is huge. We don't talk about it enough, and you know. This also came at a very interesting time because just the I think the day that this was kind of posted, uh, just a few days prior here in Ontario, we had uh, the heinous terrorist attack that occurred uh, in London, Ontario, where the family, the Muslim family was, you know, run over by a car by a terrorist. And that started to gain a lot of international acclaim. I started seeing a lot of actors posting about it on their feed. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is really blowing up. And then I noticed that, you know, people were talking about how representation of Muslim characters occurs in films and we're always seen as a terrorist. Uh, and I think it was really interesting uh, in, on Riz's um, 
Instagram, he posted about how, you know, out of 181 of uh, 200 films, uh, they had absolutely no Muslim characters at all. Uh, only 1.6% of 8,965 speaking characters were Muslim, yet 24% of the global population on this planet is Muslim. So you have such a huge population and like, like Islam is one of the biggest religions out there, but in films, either you never see Muslims or if you see them, they're always portrayed in the most stereotypical ways. Uh, I'm Muslim, for example, and I don't think I fit the stereotypes that films kind of portray out there. But why can't you just have a character like me in a film, you know, give me that representation. And, it's amazing to see that he's partnering with the Pillars Foundation, the Ford Foundation, to create this avenue for filmmakers out there who want to get out there and, and show um, their, their, their religion, their, their representation out there. You know, there's been a big push towards that now with a lot of movies. You know, you look back at Crazy Rich Asians and what that did for the Asian community and how it represented them so well. And it just it gave them that feeling of, hey, we're cool. And I think that's the hardest thing about, you know, we talked about other things that in movies, when you see Italian characters, Anthony, they're always portrayed as a mafia. Yes, for sure. It, it can definitely be negative, but at least when people are watching that, they're not going like, they're not, it's not, they're not attacking them. They're, they're saying, oh, okay, like, oh yeah, I'll, I want to be cool. I'm a gangster. And those are movies that are usually portraying them in a way where that is the character. Muslim characters mm-hmm. just never, ever get that. You know, we're always the terrorists. You look back at True Lies, you look back at all these movies, and we're just the bad guys. Or we're just non-existent for some reason. I, I'm confident every single person out there has at least one Muslim friend. So it's weird that mm-hmm. in movies that just never exists. And, you know, partnering with Mahershala Ali, Rami Youssef, if you guys ever get a chance to watch the show, Rami, uh, mm-hmm. it's, I highly recommend it. It's A24 as well, and it's really funny uh, and it touches on a lot of these things and Hassan Minaj is also a great uh, resource out there as well I, I haven't seen Rami but I, just from the trailers and the sequences I've I have seen it it's like this is where you can utilize these characters in such a different way it's like you don't have to give them this toxic negative look all the time you know we're all people we don't all like live in a world where it's terrorists or mafia or um, trying to kill people. It's there are tons of stories out there that are beautifully told that can be told with different diversities um, and like be very very true to to that that uh, culture. Uh, what about you, Shay? I mean, sorry, Daniel. <laughs> Shay. Um, you know, here's the thing. You know, it's I look at I I hear this. And I'm looking at the the article that you were reading, Anthony, and it's like, you know, Riz Ahmed, who we always see, yes, he's not as much as an up-and-comer anymore, but he's still, I think, I think Sound of Metal was really his breakout role that I think really put him on the world stage, right? And you're seeing this, and it's like, first Muslim actor to be nominated for Best Actor. And I'm just like, man, like, are we still are we still having firsts? And like and I mean that in the sense where it's like, how are we, like how is how is in 2021, how was that the first time a Muslim actor has been nominated for best actor? You know, and it and, and it just it just strikes you sometimes because some you'll you'll hear these stats where it's like, oh, this is oh, this is the first uh 
time two female directors have been nominated for best director or though this is the first time that uh, a black woman has been nominated in this category and you're just like how are we still having these these firsts and you think you know in 2021 we're evolved and we've moved past these things and then you actually look at the numbers and you're like wow we're really not that far off right we're not we may think we're doing better but we're not actually doing better you mm-hmm. know change it's it's one of those things that yes we could be like pillars for change and we could be advocates and allies but unless we're enforcing that it doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. right and i think that i i love that rami is is, is doing this um uh, sorry, I, I I love that Riz Ahmed is doing this. So I was look, I was reading Rami, the the show Rami here, uh, is doing this with Rami Youssef and Hassan Minhaj, uh, Minhaj and uh, and Mahershala Ali and Nita Manzur. Because like you need you need pillars of of that community to do that from the inside, and we need to we need to hold each other accountable of that, right? You know, and I look at Michael B. Jordan. What Michael B. Jordan did recently is that you know for when he is now. He's going into the field of producing and directing, and he's going to make sure now that his not just the cast, but also the crew is diverse. And I think that's so important because it can't just be something when you you can't just look at diversity just in front of the camera. It has to be a whole a whole systematic thing that needs to change. Right. And and it's just you think that we've progressed, but we're also we're not where we should be. And I love that Riz is um, is taking care of is is looking at this and and taking care of it on his end to do what he can to to hopefully change this. Right. I think you know I keep I when you look at like the past hundred years, um, you know, there's a lot has changed, and even for movies, like we movies are not even a hundred. I guess they are a hundred years old. I, I don't know when the first movie, ever but came I guess out. like Hollywood as we know it really yeah. isn't. Hollywood has has kind of stuck in their their mindset of their old ways, and you can literally see the change coming. Like you can see it now. There is so many voices out there that are really um, loud and getting people to notice what's happening and making us more aware of the situations. Golden Globes, for instance, now that's never happening until there's a huge diversity change there. even with Riz's comments, this will spark. He'll become, and if he continues doing it and he continues pushing for it, um, he'll become that, that, that person that we look back in history and say it was his words that changed you know, the outcome of, the, of films and how people are, are portrayed in these movies. I think that's amazing. I think you know, it only takes one voice and to you know, send a an army of people to rise up. So I think he, he's, he's doing it. Uh, let's move on to the second story. Lord of the Rings and anime prequel film set at new line and Warner brothers animation. This is coming from Brian Welk of the rap. A new Lord of the Rings movie is in the works. The war of the Rohirrim will be an animated prequel film set before the events of the main trilogy. New Line Cinema is teaming up with Warner Brothers Animation on the new project. The studio is even recruiting Filipa Boyanez, who was on the original trilogy screenwriting team, to sit, serve as a consultant. The film is set roughly 250 years before the events of the Fellowship of the Ring and follows the story of Helm Hammerhand, 
Casual Lord of the Rings fans may recognize the name for Helm's Deep, the fortress that serves as a setting for the upcoming epic battle of the End of the Two Towers, but diehard Tolkien fans will know that Hammerhand was once a legendary king of Rohan. Tolkien described events of his life in appendices from the books, but the specifics of the story were never outlined. While the project is still in its early days, New Line is fast-tracking the Lord of the Rings anime and intends for it to be a worldwide theatrical release. Animation work is already being done at Solid Entertainment and voice casting is underway. So this news, this is another news story that broke last week that was, uh, you know, out of the, the blue. We, we, we know that Amazon Prime is doing their Lord of the Rings TV series and now we have a, a movie, a feature length movie, which is animated in an anime style and it's Lord of the Rings. I'm going to kick it off to Daniel first um, when it comes to his reactions. This is really cool, honestly. Like, so this, like you said, Anthony, this kind of came out of the blue. Um, we are all major Lord of the Rings fans. I adore the Lord of the Rings, and to get a project in this world, um, that's not necessarily like I, it, I guess it's going to be loosely tied to the movies, even though Philippa Bowens is going to be part of it. But uh, you know, when you when you're in the world of animation, you could do a lot visually, um, and that's what I'm really excited for. And I think the original trilogy of Lord of the Rings films are just perfect films, top to bottom. Um, I'm really curious to see what this is going to look like. Um, hundreds, uh, 250 years before um, and hopefully it's going to have a really awesome art style. I know Sola Entertainment has done some really great projects. I was checking out their site earlier um, and I, I'm just really excited to see what they do and what, what comes from this. So I'm on board. I love that it's going to be a theatrical experience because that just lends itself to the production value is going to be high on this project. So I'm all in. What about you, Shay? I think um, this is a interesting direction we're kind of going towards i know that warner brothers wants to definitely keep that ip alive they want to make sure they're making money off of it we have the uh, amazon prime series coming out sometime soon so we're, there's no shortage of lord of the rings luckily i'm i'm a little skeptical because i mean it's you, i guess like with animation you can go a lot of different ways i just don't think i can think of any new line based animated films in, in the recent times that maybe did anything for me, but uh, I mean, Thor of the Rings. So I'm excited either way. I just, I hope it's good. That's all I want. And I think that's the most generic and obvious thing I can say, but at the same time, it's scary. It's scary because we got the Hobbit movies and I'll be honest with you, not a fan of them. So the last good Lord of the Rings thing that we got was back in 2003, right? Right. Right. Yeah, I mean and we I mean for the Hobbit trilogy, yes. Uh not a great trilogy overall, but I think there are some really good moments within them, but nothing that has ever reached any of the the highs or even the mids of the original trilogy, right? Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. Shay, you mentioned the New Line animation. New, New Line Cinema has only released 3 animated films according to Wikipedia. Babar the movie, classic. Elf, you know, Elf, Buddy, uh, sorry, Buddy's Musical Christmas and The Swan Princess. So luckily they're just, I think, just distributing this and Sola Entertainment is the one doing the animation for it. So Correct. Right. We should, and we should, uh, hopefully we should be okay. What I like about this, like, if, comparing it to The Hobbit, The Hobbit was really, the characters weren't 
as strong. They're 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 little hobbits. Like you know what I'm saying? Like they they weren't these mythical characters that built Lord of the Rings. And I felt I feel like that's where they're going towards. Like these are the the legends of of the Lord of the Rings characters that set in motion the Lord of the Rings that we know. So I think like looking at that and looking at that perspective, I feel like the story would be a lot better than what we normally would get out of um, a Lord of Lord of the Rings movie or appendency or what a companion piece. If you want to call sure. It. Yeah, definitely. So, and it's anime. So I think the production value is going to be high and, you know, with the TV series coming out, I feel like Lord of the Rings is, is coming back for a good while. And I think, I also think that Warner brothers wants to make people still associate Lord of the Rings with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's going to be, it's going to be Amazon's going to be top of mind for a lot of people. Once, um, once their series starts off. So, um, when I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at like some of the work that your director has done. So Kenji, uh, Kamiyama, um, he's done some pretty well-known like animated series, like ghost. He's worked on ghost in the shell, um, and Ultraman and you know, the, the blade runner, uh, anime series. And uh, he worked on DuckTales. (laughs) <laughs> the original DuckTales. So, like, uh, I'm just like looking at some of his work, and I'm looking at the work that Sola has done, and I'm I'm really curious to see what they could do with this, especially within the w- world of Middle Earth. So, I'm 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 hoping it's great. I'm really hoping it's great. Yeah, he was part of the Akira too. He was part of the animation department, back background artist, which you know, like you can see, like this this director has grown into all these anime films, and he started literally a long time ago. So, I'm super excited for that. Quick update. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is the new title for Aquaman 2 from director James Wan. Release is set for December 16th, 2022. This was another huge story that we were talking about. Um, again, it came out of nowhere. There was a photo of James Wan and he had his you know mask on and took a picture of the, the title. And we were like, yeah, this, this title really works. I know you guys were excited for the title. Do you have anything that you want to kind of say about the new Aquaman? I like the name. I like the name Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom. I think that's cool. Um, I can't believe that this movie is going to be coming out next year. Um, So we'll probably get some type of footage or tease at DC Fandom this year. Uh, But yeah, it's going to be four years in between releases by the time we watch this movie, which is just absolutely nuts to think about. But uh, I like the title. I like the title. Yeah, same here. Good title. Uh, it's a strong title. It's a title that I would use. Uh, and that's it. Cool. Out this week, we have Pixar's Luca. And this is airing on Disney Plus for free. So if you are a Disney Plus member, you will be able to watch Pixar's Luca. And it's coming out Friday. I cannot wait for Pixar's Luca, and you can definitely catch our review this Wednesday. And speaking of catching some reviews, instead of boring you with all the details of what we watched this week, you can just check out our movie podcast feed because guess what? Everything we watched has been reviewed. So go ahead and check that out. Now let's get to the main event. The reason you all came here today, our special guest, Mr. Tony Bancroft. 
Welcome back to the movie podcast. Joining us now is a Disney animation veteran. He co-directed the animated Mulan, is the creator of Pumbaa from The Lion King, Kronk from The Emperor's New Groove, and have wor- has worked on some of the most beloved movies of all time. You can see his work next in Space Jam, A New Legacy. And if that's not enough for you, he also co-hosts the Bancroft Brothers animation podcast, where he talks the past, present, and future of animation with his brother. Please welcome to the show, Tony Bancroft. Hi, Tony. Hey, hi guys. Thanks for having me on the movie podcast. Glad to be here. Thank thank you so much for joining us and taking the time out of your today. We we're so excited to talk to you. I, I think this is the the best podcast I've ever been on because you guys got have the most simple direct name, the movie podcast. I don't know how you got that there, domain name, but you guys did it. Awesome. <laughs> we beat up a lot of people to get this name. Yeah. <laughs> we have high priced lawyers. <laughs> You know, just we we did what we had to do. We don't talk about it. We're not allowed talking about it, but we're just happy to have it. Hey, hey it's a great name. <laughs> uh, no, again, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We're honored to have you. Uh, just to, just to get the ball rolling. You know, we're we're coming off a crazy year and a and a pandemic like no other. How are you doing? How's the, how have you been the last year? How are you doing just as a human being? You know, uh, pretty good. Um, I mean, you know, we've all had to adjust to way too much time at home and um, not enough social interaction probably. So if I seem, you know, slow on the uptake at all, it, I'm going to pl- blame it on COVID. But um, I say, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> I will say that it's probably been one of the busiest times this last year, especially 2020, the busiest times in animation. Uh, and for me personally, I was busy all the time. I mean, you mentioned Space Jam. I was working on that all last year right here in my home office in my underwear. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> that's wicked. That's great. That, that's the best way to work. You know, I, I wish. I wish we could do that. Um, you can't see I, us right now, but we're also just wearing our underwear as well. Oh, see? There. In solidarity there you with you. That's right. Thank you, COVID. Um, we're, we're definitely going to – we're going to circle back to that Um but yeah, uh, this is awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Now, now, Daniel Daniel did mention that, you know, you were part of some of the most beloved Disney films ever. What was it like working at Disney during that renaissance? I mean, it was really cool. Um, and, you know, and, and like most people talk about when they talk about like some historic thing, like working on Star Wars or something like that. At the time, you don't really know what it's going to become. So at the time we were, you know, just young guys and gals for the most part just trying to live up to a certain legacy that disney had i mean i felt i felt that pressure more than anything because we didn't know how the films were going to do obviously and and lion king was not the 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 superstar idea in the beginning it was the you know the little ugly duckling of the studio for a long time but um i will say it was uh it was an exciting time because we were just so passionate young passionate group i think that that wanted to make you know live up to the legacy that we saw of disney animation you know things like the jungle book and stuff that we grew up with that's awesome and like uh, you, you were mentioning that you know at the time you know lion king wasn't the big film the other big one at the time that everyone was the a movie was pocahontas right right yeah i know a so lot of people have probably did heard you got- that by now but it's true so did you guys have a like a like an underdog kind of feeling going into it that you guys could do something unique or what what was the kind of what was like the feeling at the with your animate with the your team at the time? Well, you know, historically it was an interesting time um and kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity for me personally 
because of this, but um, historically the studio was going through a big change at that time. This was like, you know, um, you know, early, early nineties, mid nineties, I would say. And um, they had some huge success with, you know, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. And there was this growing interest in, in Disney animation. So we were starting to like climb this hill of success and the, you know, and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who uh, you may or may not know, but he was the main executive in charge over at Disney um, underneath Michael right. Eisner, who was like running the studio and Jeffrey was in charge of animation. And his philosophy was, well, if we can, we can make this much money, like little mermaid bucks, you know, with one film, let's double them <laughs> up. Let's make two films a year. Ah, you know, and he, he, his, whole, his whole goal was to make as much money as possible, of course, and look good. And, right. Um, you know, we were trying to make art, you know, we we're really, you know, the artists versus, versus executives kind of thing. Um, right. And so, but, but what happened that was really to my personal advantage and, and the advantage of a lot of people on the Lion King is that we had to split because Jeffrey did want to start working on two films at the same time and, and get this overlap going. So it meant hiring on more animators and then all the kind of A-list animators went over to Pocahontas and it gave all kinds of new opportunities for us kind of in the trenches, B animators that wanted to move up to getting the bigger opportunities to become the A animators. Uh, but kind of before that, somebody had to die or retire, basically. You know, Glenn Keane right. was there and Andreas Deja, all these kind of names that were like mentors to me when I was a junior animator. I felt like, I don't, you know, how are we going to move up? How are we going to get these opportunities? And then all of a sudden, Jeffrey got greedy and so therefore we split right. our units into two um and all of a sudden all these young animators like myself and mike surrey i always say about the lion king and this is something that people may not know is that probably second to snow white it probably had the freshest newest greenest talent in almost across the board first time directors first time wow. heads of department first time supervising animators almost everybody had never done their job before. And, and, wow. and that, was, that wow. was the, so when you talk about, yeah, did we have a chip on our shoulder? We did have a chip on our shoulder because we were always being compared to Pocahontas, which was Jeffrey's favorite. So we had a parent that was kind right. of always telling us, well, guys, you know, <laughs> good luck with Lion King. Always you next know, year. But, but yeah. Yeah. Good luck. It's okay. They don't all have to be home runs. I mean, he literally gave us the speech one time. <laughs> And compared us oh, uh, to a, a, a baseball team that, you know, some would be, so, you know, there's only a couple of home runs and that was Pocahontas, sure things. And then, you know, sometimes you get a base hit and that was the Lion King. Wow. So that, was before, oh, oh. that was before we came out. That's why, the middle of production, like while we're working on it. Like it, It's okay. Which, sometimes you get a base <laughs> hit and that's okay. You know, we're right. still in the running. <laughs> Pocahontas, though, it's got the themes, it's romance, it's Romeo and Juliet. I mean, come on. You know, it's Americana. That's <laughs> going to be a home run for sure. Lion King. Right. Eh, base hit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just like Quibi, right, Jeffrey? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I, there was a big part of me that was kind of happy about what happened. With <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, Tony, I know your brother also yeah. is an animator. Were you able to work with him during 
that time period, like early on. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, yeah, you're right. My my twin brother, Tom Bancroft, uh, we both started at Disney at the same time. We both started in the Florida studio. So there used to be an Orlando, um, Florida studio at the Disney MGM Studios theme park. And um, I left after we started, probably I was there for about the first year of that studio. And then I left to come back to um, the Burbank main uh, facility for animation because I, I had fallen in love with a girl back here and we were engaged. And so I decided I'm my life is back in, in Burbank. And therefore I was working at the main studio while Tom stayed in Florida. Um, and so Lion King uh, was a Florida studio. Florida was helping out on the Lion King and doing some animation on it. And guys like Aaron blaze were, you know, doing film, you know, main characters and same with like Mark Hen, who was Tom's mentor. And so Tom got to work on a uh, young Simba, but he did it 3000 miles away in the Florida studio. Wow. And we actually shared a sequence that um, the studio was very generous. And they, they flew me and Mike Suri who had done Timon out to Florida so that we could sit down with Tom who was doing young Simba and the, the sequence in the film where uh, Simba, I'm uh, sorry, Puma and Timon first discover Simba, you know, he's like, you know, almost half dead in the desert and they come up mm-hmm. and, right. and, and kind of rescue him and wake him up and all that. Tom did young Simba throughout that sequence. And I did Pumbaa and Mike Suri did Timon. And we, we worked together for a couple of weeks in Florida together and just talked about the choreography and the acting and all that in a very intensive period. And then, and then I flew back with Mike Suri back to California to, to animate all the shots. So, um, yeah, though it was cool because we were working on the same film and even some same sequences, but largely we were doing it 3000 miles apart. That's wow. amazing. So not, not to, uh, like the early beginnings of, you know, working remotely with, uh, your teams and everything like that. Like you've probably done a lot now. Yeah. Uh, we were, uh, Last year on the show, and I, and I mentioned this when we when I was emailing you that we had Kevin Lima on the show last year talking about Tarzan. Um, did you get to work? Like, I know you guys had films that came out about a year apart from one another with Mulan and Tarzan. Did you guys uh, get to like cross paths at all, or was there any kind of internal competition at the studio as well during the, that time? Um, you know, pr- directors were pretty supportive. Um, I didn't get to see Chris Buck and Kevin Lima very much because I was mostly working on Mulan at the time in at, at Florida. So I had flown back to Florida after Lion King and Hunchback and some of those other ones. And when, when they asked me to, to be a co-director on Mulan, it meant um, traveling and living in Florida for a good year and a half while we were doing that. And that was wow. the same year and a half period that largely Tarzan was being produced in Burbank. So um, yeah, so I didn't get to see much of that going on, but my good buddy Mike Suri, um, you know, worked on that film. So I would hear from him all the time. My my brother Tom got a chance to do some scenes on Tarzan too, um, uh, and that that was after Mulan. So yeah, I guess Tarzan started while we were working on Mulan, but finished after I was off of Mulan. Finished Mulan, and, and Tarzan kept got going you. a little bit. You know, so there was. There was an overlap, but not a whole bunch, I guess. Sure. No, I got you. That that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, uh, just a really quick follow up question with uh, with with anime. I know we we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about Space Jam a bit later, but working on animation in the '90s to working on it like for a movie like Space Jam, and I know you worked on Mary Poppins Returns. 
what's the biggest difference between like kind of your workflow and what the technology looks like between then and now? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, there's similarities, but a lot of, a lot has changed too. Um, I mean, the main thing is that we don't draw pencil and paper anymore. Um, except for Mary Poppins returns. That was the last time. Um, and it had been 10 years. So, so largely, yeah, largely everything is electronic now and digital, even though it's 2d hand-drawn animation, we just do it on Wacom Cintiqs, these, you know, big monitors that you can actually draw on. And, um, so we're still doing drawings per se, but it's all digitally right into an application like Toon Boom Harmony or some software like that. Um, and we can see it play back. We can change timing. Um, iterations are a lot easier and stuff because of that. But, um, you know, the funny thing was that we we had largely gone away from 2D animation for um, a good 10 years, I think. I hadn't touched any 2D animation until um, I got contacted to work on Mary Poppins Returns. And the director, Rob Marshall, was really keen on trying to get that look of the, the first Mary Poppins with the animation. Right. And make it feel old school as much as possible. So he asked us to work on paper. And so... Um, we had oh, wow. all these desks and, you know, and, and there, was, <laughs> there was like one company that was still doing hole punch paper that was, you know, registration quality that would match. And we had to create all new um, cameras and stuff to shoot the animation. I mean, it was it was kind of crazy. The the effort we went through just for that 20 minutes of animation, in Mary Poppins Returns. But it also was very reminiscent. I remember walking into the studio in the morning and hearing that sound of, you know, people flipping the pages with their fingers and, right. um, and, and scribbling. And you'd hear like electric pencil sharpeners, rah, 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 you know, and, and it was like, a, <laughs> I, I, it was like a flashback to the Lion King days and Aladdin That's amazing. and Beauty and the Beast. And, um, and, and largely that production was done by, um, people that were tired and pulled out of retirement that knew how to do 2d animation on paper. Um, but wow. That that was like the the one little blip uh, in in what is now mostly all digital, um, and so like Space Jam, for sure was um, and I and I worked on uh, uh, Space Jam. I worked on um, you know a couple other things for Netflix and stuff doing traditional animation, but it was always digital on the Cintiq, Wacom Cintiq. Gotcha, that's awesome, and I, I think it shows a lot in uh, Mary Poppins Returns for sure. Yeah. Like the, just the look of it looks incredible. Mm-hmm. And this is a good segue into my question. Now you were classmates with Pete Doctor. Mm. Did you ever consider going into the world of 3D animation at Pixar or was there always that internal competition? It, it, it was funny because um, Pixar, when I was in my freshman year at Pixar, um, Pixar had just put out one of their, their shorts, um, I think it was Luxo Jr. Their very first short had come out when I was a freshman at CalArts. And so they were basically a software company that was dabbling in CG animation, but certainly the first and a pioneer and all that. Um, But it was arduous and difficult and not appealing whatsoever to Tom and I that were at CalArts. And, um, but even Pete Doctor, um, you know, he was largely trained as a 2D animator, just like, uh, uh, John Lasseter was and all that. Um, and yet, but Pete was, Pete had, Pete was kind of a visionary in that he liked to try new things 
And and I think he also knew that he wasn't as strong a drafts person, like he couldn't draw as well as maybe Tom and I. And so I don't think he thought he could get a job at Disney, to tell you the truth. Um, and yet <laughs> wow. he did. He had his ideas were genius, and his animation on the computer, particularly um, later on, uh, was genius. Uh, and so he really had the skill sets to be a great CG animator, but had never touched it. I mean, there was no computer animation at Cal Arts when we were in school. And I remember, you know, Tom and I were applying at Disney and got into an internship before Pete went on to go to Pixar. And I remember Pete was like, Oh man, I can't believe you guys got into Disney. That's so cool. And <laughs> I'm kind of looking at this other little company, this, this Pixar company. And I think I might do that. And we were like, good luck, Pete. I, I, I really thought he was crazy. Good luck, man. Yeah, I, I did not. <laughs> wow. I did not see it as I just thought it was like some crazy thing that Pete was going to go off and do, and and that he would be on the unemployment line uh, in a couple of years, and and yet, of course, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Good luck with that. I did not see that coming. No. Yeah, Toy Story. Yeah, that's going to take off. Good luck, buddy. Yeah. Wow. I we, that's a crazy Tom, story. Tom and I actually went up um, and visited Pete in his first year at Pixar, or maybe it was the second year when they started doing Toy Story. They were certainly in the first year of making that film. And they were in warehouses as well before they had the campus and everything, the Pixar campus. They were in these trashy warehouses up in Northern California. And um, he showed us some CG animation. And that was the first time, um, you know, and it was like a little Woody scene that he was doing in the film. And he was showing it to us. And it was the first time that I really saw like, okay, no, this is the real deal. This is going to be a breakthrough. And then later on, when I got back to Burbank and was working on The Lion King, um, they showed a screening of uh, the very first sequence that was done from Toy Story, which was the uh, the little army guys that are doing the re- re- reconnaissance uh, to Woody. Yes. Yeah. The little boys opening his presents, right? his birthday and he's opening presents and it was mostly all the green army men sequence um and almost 100 percent just the green army guys that was the very first sequence that was completed in color and fully rendered for toy story and they showed it to all of us 2d animators as a like hey here's an update on something that disney's involved with and we thought you should see it and and i remember walking out of the theater after seeing that sequence and my mind, all of our minds were blown. I mean, not one animator came out of there going, oh, that was crappy. You know, we all were just like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're like, we had just seen the future of animation. And sure enough, it took wow. another five years must have been, probably. But yeah. Go ahead. It must have been surreal. It. Yeah, it I was, was just going to say it must have been surreal. It was surreal. It was now, devastating in a lot of ways. It was. But there was, there was also, you know, we there was big debates. I remember walking back to our desk after the screening to sit down and start working on Lion King again. And all of us animators were like, it was good, but, you know, are people really going to want that over what we're doing? I don't know. And But I was dead set. I was sure that, that we had just seen the future of animation. Yeah, that, that, yeah I, I can totally understand just seeing that and being like, uh, what did I just see? And what the future looks like now you're you're the creator pumbaa and one of you know disney's most beloved characters tell me how pumbaa came to be was there any inspiration 
regarding Pumbaa, maybe people in your life that inspired you and his character I mean, yeah, come I mean, about? Was, from the animation perspective, I was greatly inspired by Ernie Isabella, who's the, the voice of Pumbaa. Um, I remember going to recording sessions. And actually, Mike Surrey and I flew out to, um, to New York because um, Ernie and Nathan Lane, who's the voice of Timon, were on Broadway together in Guys and Dolls. They were doing a, a revision or you know a new version of Guys and Dolls on Broadway, and they were both in it. And we got to hang out with Ernie. Nathan was kind of above it all, and he wouldn't join us for dinner and stuff. But but Ernie, we went out. We saw his apartment. He took us out to dinner. We just hung out with him. He was such a sweet guy. Um, but seeing him in person, studying his films, and watching him in Guys and Dolls, and I, I started to understand a, a certain kind of, he has kind of a hammy, kind of big, kind of, not only the voice, of course, that is <laughs> big and Hakuna uh, Matata, that kind of thing. But he's always like, you know, very staccato in his movements, very abrupt and quick and hard. Um, and I wanted to get that. I was very inspired by that trip. And I, I went back to my desk and started going, okay, I got to get more of that kind of staccato movement and that, that bigger Broadway kind of over the top feel with Pumbaa. Um, and from that moment forward, it was, it was off to the races. So that was a huge inspiration. But but largely, you know, an animator comes onto a film um, early in the process, but but there's still been a, probably a good year to a year and a half, at least, maybe even two years of development done by the, the directors, the storyboard team. There's character designers that are there. There's a lot of passes that have done on the characters. So Puma and Timon existed already before Mike and I got a hold of them and started playing around with them. And we came up with the final design, the final look of the characters, but we were greatly influenced by, you know, Chris Sanders, who was a vis dev artist and storyboard artists that were playing around with the characters and their panels. And there was a lot of things to look at already. And there was already a lot of decisions made by the script writers and, and the directors about who they were, you know? And I remember sitting down with the directors when I first started on Puma and Timon with, me and, me and Mike sat down with them and they described Puma and Timon as, well, they're bachelors. If, if this was like a college setting, they would be like these sloppy bachelor guys that hung out all the time, skip class <laughs> just to hang out and play video games. And Puma would be kind of like this unkept football player type guy, you know, that maybe got kicked off the team. So he's a little, not quite as, you know, in great shape anymore, but definitely that big lunk out of a football player kind of guy. And, and they were definitely were like, right. always described as like these, these kind of sloppy bachelors hanging out in their bachelor pad, you know? Um, <laughs> right. And that, that really set the tone, you know, even that simple example was great. I think I think what's funny too is like when you look at even like the live action version of Pumbaa, where he looks very um, realistic, but Seth Rogen they went with a voice that kind of I think embodied that as well too. For oh, obviously for sure. Seth Rogen from his comedies and everything like that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Now that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So you were going to say something there, Tony. Well, just that I I do like the casting of Seth Rogen for uh, Pumbaa in that. Uh, in the CG version of the Lion King, I thought he was one of the best parts. I, you know, it was just kind of a no brainer. I thought, yeah, that's, that's Puma for sure. <laughs> for sure. But that's now, where my Tony, you also film end, just so you know, <laughs> I, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard your, uh, yes, you weren't huge on the CG animated, uh, version of that movie. No, no, 
<laughs> I can only imagine your thoughts on the Mulan one then as well. Uh, you know, I, I had great intention, uh, great hopes and um, intentions about Mulan when I saw the trailer. And I really liked mm-hmm. what the director was doing and trying to go in a different direction. Because I guess it's a problem I have with all the remakes is that oftentimes the ones that are like, and Lion King is the worst of these, you know, shot for shot, like the original and, and yet super right, realistic right. and kind of losing a lot of character because of it. And, but really just the same mm-hmm. storytelling, same songs, even the same dialogue straight from the script of the original one. And I, mm-hmm. I'm an audience member too. I want to be entertained. I want to see something new. And and for me, Mulan was a, a, a great example of something where, uh, you know, she's, you know, people don't know if she's a real character, or a real person that existed. There's a lot of different stories about Mulan through Chinese culture uh, and Chinese history. So there's legends out there. You could you could do a lot of different stories with the character Mulan. It doesn't have to be the exact same story that we told. So it looked like the director was trying right. to go in a different direction. I'm not happy with um, the outcome. Unfortunately, was did not live up to. What I saw in the trailer, which I was very excited about, mm-hmm. but the outcome of the actual film uh, was was lacking in a lot of character and heart that I felt was, was missing. Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't think you're alone on that one because that is something that we've definitely been hearing a lot about these live action remakes from yeah. classic Disney films. So, yeah. Now you had your. You also were a, the creator of one of the, another iconic character, Kronk from the uh, Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, uh, you know that that character is also really big in the meme culture as well. So sure is, yeah. I got to ask: Did did Patrick Warburton's sultry voice play any you know creation towards that that character? Like, did that help? Oh, his, his beautiful oh, voice. Oh, tons! I mean, the short story is that, that I came <laughs> off of, of uh, directing Mulan. And I wanted to go back in animation. I, I just, the artist in me, the animator in me was just, you know, just kind of jonesing to get onto a film as an animator again and shut the door and just draw. So I, I told my bosses, I said, I, I really don't want to be considered for another directing gig right now. Let me go back in animation on something. And they said, oh, well, there's these two projects. One was Treasure Planet. And they had a comedy character named Morph in it that's a kind of a pantomime character. And, but, a, but a comedy character, and that's what I was known for. Um, and then they said, or there's Kronk, this new character from Emperor's New Groove, which had just been rewritten. If you know the story about Emperor's New Groove, it was a totally different story and more serious and all that. And they had just revamped it and created this new character named Kronk. And I looked at both of the films. The, I talked to both of the directors on the films. And it wasn't until they told me that this guy who had, I'd only seen as Putty on Seinfeld, Patrick Warburton, has, was doing the voice and they played some of his of his takes that they had already recorded with him and i was sold i was like oh this is what i want i gotta do Kronk. this is it this is it for me please please and i started begging him to animate Kronk, and they gave it to me and i was so so thrilled i mean to this day so yeah um patrick warburton is Kronk. patrick warburton made Kronk. uh i i felt like i was just trying to keep up with the 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 quality of his performance, the humor that he gave, the the persona. It just, you know, you close your eyes and that's what an animator does when they first start on a character that, and you know, to be inspired by the, the voice talent. You close your eyes and listen to Patrick and, you know, it's just 
buttery richness and such a elaborate um, oh, yeah. level of character there that he just knows. He just nailed it, you know. So yeah. Um, so speaking, I mean, with sultry voices, Gilbert Gottfried for Iago, uh, same thing, <laughs> must yeah. with, the, with the sultry yeah. voice. <laughs> if I got to choke down, yeah, well, I know. I mean, I, I, it's funny, I've, I've always animated uh, characters that always had kind of big voices, you know, from, you know, you know, Pumbaa's Hakuna Matata, you know, very low, kind of bassy, and then Gilbert right. Gottfried's kind of hash, you know, uh, very, uh, kind of. <laughs> voice and then uh you know patrick oh yeah oh right the poison the poison for kusa <laughs> I, I fell in love with all their voices and as an animator you kind of have to you you dig so deep into the persona of the characters that means listening to the voices play over and over and over to the point where i was reciting the dialogue in tune with you know patrick or any of these voices and um, and yeah, Gilbert Gottfried though was he was at the top of his game when he recorded um, Iago for Aladdin. He really was, and um, super funny, um, just weird personality in real life, but super funny in the film, and just perfect foil for you know uh, Jafar, who is that more kind of reserved uh, Shere Khan kind of you know regalness, you know. So, mm-hmm. I love that about Iago. Now, Tony, I'd love to go back in time before Disney and just kind of get an understanding on why you became an animator and if you would direct a live action film. Oh, yeah. If you have one, let me know. <laughs> no. Um. <laughs> or if you, ever, if, you, if you ever wanted to direct a live action film. I did, actually. I mean, I, I started, I, you know, I, I was deeply influenced like many of many uh, uh you know, uh, future film filmmakers and animators were by Star Wars. Um, and my brother and I were at the right age where we saw that in the theaters. And it was like, you know, mind blown. Star Wars came out, just total groupies about that. And I was also into Steven Spielberg. And, I, you know, I knew who George Lucas, Steven Spielberg were. And, and I was getting to know all the different directors. And I thought, one day that's what I really want to do is I want to make, I want to be a filmmaker and it was never an animation filmmaker or animation director. It was always live action was kind of my first love. Um, but, right. um, but, but mostly it was about storytelling. But in the meantime, Tom and I had grown up largely. Um, and at first wanting to be comic strip artists, we fell in love with, you know, uh, Calvin and Hobbes and the newspapers and peanuts were huge Charles Schultz fans. And, and so we would copy that's, when we were really young, that's what we started with. We would copy the the comic strip characters in the newspaper. And then we ultimately in high school were creating our own comic strips together. And we thought, well, this is great. We'll just kind of ramp right into a syndicated comic strip and that'll be my life. You know, cause a lot of these guys were like, right. They started syndicating uh, a comic strip like Charles Schultz. It was like, he sold a strip and then he did it for the rest of his life. And same thing with Jim Davis on Garfield and 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 Bill Watterson with Calvin and Hobbes, they did it as long as they wanted to, basically, until they wanted to retire. Right. They did these strips. And I thought that's, for Tom and I, that was our path. Um, and it wasn't until we got into the college uh, level that um, we discovered animation. We were going to a city college because literally we were trying to, you know, do we even need to go to a state college or a big college and study art? I mean, we'd already been self-taught a lot. 
we were already at a, a fairly high level of proficiency, at least for cartooning in high school. And we were trying to find our way basically, you know, okay, well, we're going to do a comic strip. Do we even need to really, we didn't have a lot of money. Our, our parents didn't have a lot of money for us. So we were like, we can't really afford very much. What do we do? So we went to a city college just to kind of beef up some of our, see what the college life was like and take some life drawing classes, take an illustration class. And we took a cinematography class because there was that, like I said before that I had that first love of like, maybe I can get into live action filmmaking and filmmaking always was interesting to me because it was storytelling. And that's largely what I liked about comic strips too. It's characters and it's stories and you're, they're kind of a gag a day kind of thing. And so um, I met a guy, right. a friend, a friend of ours that we befriended early on named Eric Stefani, who was, um, who was making these cool little, he was our age and he was making these crazy animated uh, short films with clay. So clay animation, stop motion. And he was doing videos and music videos and things. And Tom and I were like amazed at, at what he was doing and bringing life to these characters with sculptures, little clay sculptures. And so much so that we befriended Eric and, and that summer we did a, a film together, a little short film to a, a music video that we really liked. Um, and we finished that short. And by the time we finished it, I had read Frank and Ollie's The Illusion of Life, which is kind of the Bible for animation. We had find, found out about Cal Arts by the end of that film. And we were set, you know, so that one little short film um, that we joined this buddy with uh, totally sold us on animation. And we went in a totally different direction. Well, <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Bless you. <laughs> oh man. Okay, I'll 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 come in now. Uh I'll come back in here. <laughs> but we went in a totally we went in a totally different direction from that point on. And uh and the and the real fun part of that story to me uh, to, when I tell people about that is that Eric Stefani was also a great musician. He was not only a great artist and an animator and a real inspiration to us, but he also had a band at the time called No Doubt. And a little um, <laughs> Orange County um, band called No Doubt. And his sister was the lead singer. She had just started wow. right out of high school. Yep. Gwen Stefani was his sister. What a um, twist. And um, that was, and, yeah. And That's so amazing. Eric, you know, Gwen Stefani's brother was the one that got Tom and I into animation. And we fell in love with it because of him. That's wow. awesome. That's that really is cool. Crazy. I didn't. I didn't expect you. I didn't. I'm like Stefani. Hmm. Is he related to Gwen? No, this is not yeah. where the story is going. And then, boom, you hit us with that. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you bet. Now we got a new trailer today for Space Jam: A New Legacy, which is coming out next month. What can you tell us about it, if anything? And was there a specific Looney Tunes character that you worked on? Um. Um. I can't say too much about the story, um, but but because you've seen the trailer, you know that it has 2D animation, traditional hand-drawn, and mm -hmm. CG animation of the Looney Tunes characters. Um, and when I first came onto the film, it was going to be 100% 2D animation. So the choice to came later by the director and other executives to incorporate CG animation into it. And I, you know, I'm going to reserve my opinion uh, till later, probably. Um, about um, my feelings about that, but I, I I will say that I loved working on it was it's been a dream of mine since um, since I started animating 
to not only get a hold of some of the biggest characters ever, like I got a chance to animate Mickey while I was at Disney. I did a commercial with Mickey um, and then create a lot of great characters on some of these great Disney films. Well, I also grew up with Looney Tunes characters, was a huge Chuck Jones uh, fan. He was the director largely responsible for making Bugs Bunny into who he is and uh, among other directors. And I, I really had always wanted to animate and get a hold of those Looney Tunes characters. So being hired onto Space Jam, A New Legacy was really meaningful for me. It was kind of a bucket list kind of thing for me just to animate those characters. And to answer your question, I, I, I mostly did Bugs Bunny, but I also did a little bit of, and you, you see this in the trailer, LeBron James is a 2D character in it. I animated some of LeBron James' yeah. character. I did uh, quite a bit of Marvin the Martian, uh, his dog, um, and then a little bit of Daffy Duck, too. So I got a hold of about five or six of the characters. That's awesome. That's cool. That's pretty awesome. And like we have like a Canadian connection because uh, you know Eric Bowser who does the voice of Bugs now and Daffy um he's from our province which is which is awesome to see. He doesn't live too far from us. So it's it's cool cool seeing that and yeah, I can only imagine what it feels like to kind of be like that that steward of the next you know iteration of these characters for a generation, right? That's that's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess that's what I like about it being called a new legacy because I felt like I was part of that legacy, you know, of of who Definitely. those characters are, but also Space Jam. You know, the first Space Jam was, I didn't work on that one. I was at Disney at the time, I, um, but I, I have a lot of friends that worked on the original Space Jam. But to be able to get a hold of, like I said, it was kind of a bucket list thing, not only Looney Tunes characters, but also a new Space Jam uh, uh, that that has, that has so much meaning in the child childhoods of many people. Um, I, I don't right. know. I just feel very, very blessed that I've had a chance to, you know, touch so many different uh, cultural iconic uh, films and things of the past and, and even things that are legacy kind of things like Mary Poppins returns. Right. Of course, all the Disney stuff I worked on, but then, but now space jam and being a part of that um, legacy is, I don't know. It's, it's very cool. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, my, my bucket <laughs> list is all filled up now. I don't know what's next. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it must, it must feel surreal, right? Like, like these are characters that ever like you could just show a picture of somebody to of Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse. People are going to know who they are, no matter where you are in the world, right? That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, they're they're such uh, impactful. I love characters. I guess that's what got me into animation and cartooning in general. I love creating characters, my own characters. I love being a part of um, the legacy characters and the ones that I've touched and got to animate have been really phenomenal and impactful. <clears throat> but I, I, but I, I don't know. I just love bringing life to these characters and making people smile. That's amazing. Uh, really quickly, we we did have some write-ins from some of our listeners of the show. Uh, if you're cool answering some some fan questions, oh, I love it. Uh, Nicole asked, looking back on Mulan, is there anything that you would have changed or adjusted about the film? Um, she also wants to know the music in Mulan is legendary. How did you feel the first time you heard the soundtrack? <laughs> Uh, I know she's talking about the the, the songs. Um, let me start there because there, for the longest time, that actually the music answers both of those questions. Because for the longest time, both Barry Cook, who's my co-director, and I um, were not happy that it was going to be a musical. It was kind of forced upon us as directors of the film 
to make Mulan a musical. Um, it was not our original intention. It was not our original vision for the film, but it was part of a corporate trend because they we were. It was one of the very last ones to be kind of a Broadway musical esque kind of film um, because they had right. so much success with the Howard Ashman, Alan Menken series of films from Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Lion King and I mean. Little Mermaid, starting with the Little Mermaid and all that, that they thought that, okay, well, this is kind of a female-driven heroine story. Let's make it a musical, and it'll it'll be kind of capsulated with all those different musical princess stories. Well, that was not what we really wanted from the film. We wanted it to be a cool action adventure film. It was it had a lot of um, you know, bravado about it already in the storytelling. You know, it's about a girl that goes off to war. And we just didn't see this whole war um, background as as being reminiscent of a, a fun, jolly romp, you know, kind of right. musical. Um, so, and we got, you know, we got two guys that were our music guys that had never worked together before. Um, and one of them came from Broadway. One of them was a pop guy that, you know, did, you know, Matthew Wilder, who created the song, Ain't Nothing Gonna Break Your Stride. You know, that was what he was known for. And we like you know, it, it doesn't beg to be musical already. We're kind of forcing this. Right. And I feel like we had guys doing our music that were kind of not meant to not really jiving. Like they, they, they really had to work hard to work together well. And, and Barry and I were first time directors of a, of a feature also. And, and we were trying to find our way of what we wanted and, and really connect on a, on a vision. Cause I, I definitely was, having been more of a comedy guy and as an animator, I was really pushing a lot of comedy elements. He was very serious minded more and getting everything to drive and have the right tone became the epic journey that is Mulan. Um, but now in retrospect, <laughs> that biggest regret about having to be forced to make it a musical, I see we were totally wrong. And, and our, our hodgepodge team that made this musical and made this film was the perfect team, not the worst possible choice because it felt that way in the beginning, like we were just not equally yoked and it just didn't feel like any of us worked well together. But ultimately that turned out to be our biggest asset that we all had different ideas that we brought to the, to the table. And it really made Ulan special, unique, different, and now those songs, I'm like, I can't even imagine, like like the fans, I can't even imagine what the film would be like without, you know, um, all those different songs, uh, Be a Man and all that. Yeah. yeah that's Definitely. wicked. Uh, Kinshasa asks, what is your favorite Pumbaa scene? <laughs> um, gosh. Well... I'll say I don't, I mean, I don't, it's hard to pick a favorite, but uh, one that is the most reminiscent for me and kind of that I have the most emotional connection with is when um, Pumbaa is um, uh, kind of up on the hillside. It's nighttime and he's next to Timon and, and adult Simba and they're philosophizing about the stars in the sky, right? And he goes, oh, gee, I, I always thought they were balls of gas burning billions of miles away. <laughs> you know? And um, and it's a long take. It's a bit, it's a chunk of dialogue. That scene came to me fairly early. I was still, I was so nervous when I got it because it, it was funny in the screening. And, you know, the biggest mandate you have as an animator is 
don't screw it up. Don't don't kill the funny. So if it's already <laughs> funny because of the setup, the the circumstances, and the voice did a great job, and all that, the timing, the cutting, it, it all worked really well. In the in the animatic, you know, your job is like, don't screw it up. So I felt this pressure, and I was still learning how to draw Pumbaa. And, um, but I wanted to give it something unique and something special to it because in the storyboard, it was just a close up, almost a profile really of Pumba as he was looking up at the stars and, you know, his, his big, big nose was sticking out there and a lot of drawing <laughs> challenges involved with it, but I wanted to give it some charm and some realness. And my, my wife was pregnant with our first child at the time. Um, my daughter, Caitlin at the time. And, um, we would, we, I remember you know, going home and really thinking about the acting, thinking about what I'm going to do with this scene, how am I going to make it special and unique? And I looked over at my my wife who was sitting on the couch next to me, we're watching TV one night, and she's rubbing her belly, you know, just kind of like like pregnant women do. It's a thing they do; they kind of soothingly rub their belly, their big pregnant belly, and it's soothing for the baby and for them. And um, I this light bulb went on uh, off of me. I thought that's Pumbaa's got this big belly and he's not pregnant, but I thought I'm going to pick up on that. I wanted to do something with his hands a little bit and incorporate more than just the dialogue with this big mouth. And so if you see that scene, as he's saying it, he's kind of like thinking really philosophically and soothing his belly, just like my wife was pregnant. <laughs> that's actually pretty funny because I was watching that scene today um, and I, that's also my favorite Pumbaa moment too and I noticed I this is the first time I noticed that he's really and I'm like oh well he probably just ate right so he's just trying to like get <laughs> yeah. that gas out of him and he's he's talking <laughs> yeah. about gas so that's just funny that you mentioned that yeah all inspired by my wife it's actually a Disney trivia question that I've seen online like um, because I talked about it in the press when the movie first came out in 1994 I talked about that as an anecdote about making Pumbaa and making scene. And it has become over the years, a, a trivia question. My, my wife loves that. And so does my daughter who is in the Good. inner belly. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a cute story. Now um, a question from Amaris. Have any, do you have any tips plus tricks for people who want to learn about animation and illustration? Uh, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot and, and it's the 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 tips and tricks part. I gotta say is what sparks me. And I apologize to was it Annalise Annalise that asked the question? Emerice uh, uh, Emerice because uh, unfortunately Emerice a lot of people want to know easy ways of becoming uh, really good at drawing and and learning and that's why they talk about tips and tricks. But truthfully, there is no good tips or tricks. It always going to come down to really hard work. To be great. You know, you get a job at Disney, um, you have to be excellent. They So you really should be asking yourself, how do I become excellent at drawing? And that really will boil down to constantly doing it, working hard, um, taking classes, and going the long road. There's no shortcuts to becoming excellent at anything in life, and uh, particularly getting a job at Disney or becoming a, an animator or something like that. You have to be excellent. So really spend your time. Um, looking into what causes somebody to be excellent as an artist. And you'll always see that it's only through hard work will you get that. So draw every day. 
I would I would also add, you know, listen to the uh, the Bancraft Brothers Animation podcast because oh, there's that. There's a lot yeah. of uh, <laughs> that's a great that's cool right there. No, I, it's honestly like I think that's very sage advice. But also, um, I say I say it jokingly, but also like you have a phenomenal podcast with your brother <laughs> where you go into um, everything in the animation world and you know you have different animators on now from across gen- generations, which I think is amazing. Um, I was listening to, you know, your Phil Lord, Chris Miller episode, Michael Rianda with the Mitchells versus the machines. And like, it's like hearing from the creators of these people with, from someone like yourself, who's in that world. It's, it's lovely hearing that conversation. Cause you, you almost know exactly what, which questions to ask that, you know, up and coming animators would want to hear. So I think that's, uh, that's definitely oh, important. I appreciate that. I mean, I really do think that that is what we love about doing that podcast is kind of a sense of giving back to the next generation. Um, both Tom and, our, right. Tom and I are educators now. We both teach at, at the university level animation, uh, him in Tennessee and me out here in California. And um, we love um, being able to give back and, and tell stories, and but also um, using our perspective and experience in animation in a way of bringing a certain reality or depth to the podcast is is been really fun and something we love to do that's awesome uh last question and it's a fun one hopefully hopefully you'll enjoy it uh nate writes into the show and he says would you rather live with pumbaa in the jungle oasis but have to eat bugs for the rest of your life or get to eat whatever you want but you have to have pumbaa sleep with you in your bed every night Oh, you had me at uh, eat whatever I want. So yeah, like Pumbaa. <laughs> I do love but you got to gotta have Pumbaa with you though. <laughs> but I don't love bugs. So I would definitely say, um, yeah, he would become my snuggle buddy, bu- buddy, I'm sure. And uh, there you go. <laughs> but I, I got to eat whatever. There you I go. <laughs> Good question, Done. Nate. Well, we wow. locked it in. Nate, Nate now you know. We now yeah. have that on record. That will be the next trivia question. We'll have that on. We'll have that on file for you. Weird one. Uh, <laughs> now, Tony, before we wrap up, what are you watching and what are you looking forward to? I mean, like everybody, uh, you know, coming out of COVID, I've spent uh, so many hours in front of Netflix and just online streaming uh, movies and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I mean, I'll start with, of course, I'm looking forward to Space Jam and New, Le- New Legacy. I really am eager to see what the audience thinks of it. I think they're going to love it. I I know I really like it. So, but I'm I know I'm biased too. So, um, so I'm really looking <laughs> yeah. forward to that coming out. Um, you know, I'm a huge uh, uh, Mandalorian fan. Um, I'm looking forward to the new Loki series. Definitely, that's going to yeah. be hitting real soon. Is that this Friday? I don't know. From where we're oh, today, right actually. Oh, today. Episode, oh, first episode's out today. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because we're recording this on uh, <laughs> is it Wednesday or Thursday. Gosh. It's anyway, a Wednesday. Yeah. 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 I'm totally looking forward to uh, Loki. I'm a big sucker for the Marvel stuff, I guess. So, um, yeah, I do love uh, and I'm looking forward to the new Guardians of the Galaxy when that when that hits and stuff. Definitely. Awesome. Well, Tony, thank you so much again for joining us. I know we kept you a little bit longer than we we thought, but uh, we're, we're so lucky to be able to hear your stories. Uh, before we wrap up, I would just love for you to you know plug your socials, let our listeners know where they could follow you uh, online, uh, not in real life, uh, yeah. so they could follow you and all the amazing work that you're doing. I, I post a lot. I'm on social media, and um, and I do post a lot. So um, if you want to see some of my drawings, and I still draw a lot of Disney characters, 
You can check me out on Instagram at Pumba Guy, and Pumba has two A's on the end. Pumba Guy, and then on on Twitter, likewise, I'm Pumba Guy One. I guess there was there was somebody already that had Pumba Guy. So I'm Pumba Guy One, <laughs> and um, and uh, and I'm also on Facebook. Uh, Tom and I have the Bancroft Brothers um, uh, Facebook page. You can kind of find both of us, Bancroft Brothers. And we're going to soon have a, 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 I also have a website too. So, um, you know, if you ever want a commission or um, something like that, I do that from time to time. Um, TonyBancroft.com. You can uh, find me on my website also. Beautiful. We're going to have all those links in our show notes so our lovely listeners can check you out. Tony, thank you so much for joining us on the movie podcast today. We're so lucky to have you and hopefully we can have you back again soon. Thanks, guys. Kuna Matata. Thank you again, Tony, for being our special guest this week. It was a joy to converse about all the, all the things you've done and all the animation work you worked on and just being just really cool. I think that interview was one of our best interviews we've had on the movie podcast. As always, you can catch a new episode of the movie podcast every Monday and watch out throughout the week for review episodes on all our all the latest movies and series. Make sure to follow us at the movie podcast on Instagram and Twitter and Letterbox, and don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and join our Discord. Check out our show notes for all those links and more. That was this time with the movie podcast. And we'll see you next.